0: Bienvenidos. This
1: is a podcast that explores Latinx media and culture in its many forms. I am Dr.
2: Rojo Robles.
0: And I am Dr. Rebecca L. Salois, And we are Latinx and Latin American Studies professors at Baruch College in New York City. In this podcast, we will analyze Latinx film, television, literature, art, and cultures. We
1: will consider how these works are perceived, analyze them, and investigate the real-world reflections and implications of that work on Latinx cultures in the U.S. and beyond.
0: Welcome to Latinx Visions. Bienvenidos, bienvenidas, bienvenides. Welcome back and happy new year. Feliz año nuevo. As we usually do this time of year, we wanted to share with you a student episode. This particular episode features content created by Baruch students from the fall 2023 semester. Both of the student podcasts in this episode come from freshmen in my LTS 1003 Latin America, an institutional and cultural survey class. These students had the option of completing and publishing a podcast episode for their final project. All students in this episode have given us their permission to publish their work. Since students are assigned to listen to podcasts throughout the semester, they grow accustomed to what they sound like, and it helps them organize their research when creating content in this medium. For some students, creating a podcast is a new way of sharing their understanding of a topic, and I'm proud of them for stepping outside of their comfort zones and trying something different. The student work is presented as they created it with very minimal editing for sound levels and similar such issues. I have not edited them for content. In this episode in particular, we feature projects by LTS 1003 students Samantha Lopez, Zitali Tepezila Bonilla, and Fariha Otoy. First, we'll hear from Samantha, who considers the many different labels used by people of Latin American descent in the United States, She discusses the popularity of these terms, the generational expectations surrounding them, and the general awareness of words like Latinx within Latin American communities, recognizing that there is no one-size-fits-all label. This will be followed by Satali and Farija's conversation about the Mexican education system. In particular, they look at the overall structure of education in Mexico and compare it with that of the United States. They also consider some of the many issues affecting students in Mexico, especially as it relates to resources and accessibility for students of all socioeconomic backgrounds. So with just that brief introduction, I'm going to leave you to these fantastic student podcast projects. Please enjoy their analyses and discussions and let us know what you think.
1: (laughs) My name is Samantha Lopez, and for this podcast, I'm going to be digging deep into the term Line X. Because of there is many different labels in the Latin American community, ranging from Line X to Boricua to Spanish to Hispanic and Latino, the most two common labels in the Latin American community today would have to be Latino, Hispanic, or Spanish. However, Spanish is mostly common for those who are from Spain. And because there are many different labels in the Latin American community, it could be very difficult for older generations of this community to really know what is the term Latinx. Therefore, the term Latinx does not function as a label for the overall Latin American community because of the many Latin Americans that lack knowledge of this label. With talking about the term Latinx as a label for the Latin American community, we must dig deep into the origin of this term. The origin of the term Latinx comes from the political debate regarding gender in the Latin American community. For instance, Latinx provides a non gendered biased word to label Latin Americans. According to Morales-Ed, with the Line X reserving the right to the power of naming, it states that while the origin of Line X is not entirely clear, one thing is certain it is not the product of white elites. The use of Lion X is the culmination of an old identity politics debate between US Latino academics and activists. Identifying as an as a Latin American myself, I can say that there's a lot of confusion regarding if the term Lion X was adopted from a white elite. Because of the significant impact this makes in the decision of Latinos having to adopt the term Latinx in their vocabulary of labels. However, seeing that the use of Latinx is the culmination of an old identity political debate between U.S. Latino academics and activists, instead of coming from a white elite itself, it is evident that the origin of this term comes from the society evolving in the U.S., Additionally, another source from Morales Ed called Introduction states, but even amid ongoing debate around the term on campuses and in the media, the growing movement to embrace Latinx highlights how it dispenses with the problem of prioritizing male or female by negating that binary. Latinx provides a space for Latinos to not feel pressure from having to identify themselves as a specific gender, therefore feeling no criticism of being non-binary. Although gender is very pronounced in the Spanish language, from the endings of Spanish words, not all words in the Spanish language are meant to speak directly towards female or male individuals. In a source called What's in a Text in Exchange About the Politics of X by Catalina M. De she states... As we all know, every noun in Spanish is gendered. For example, la gente, la familia, la persona, el amigo, el grupo. To gender-neutralize line X and chica is an attempt to create a more inclusive and accepting language, particularly for transgender and queer folks. Personally, growing up and having to learn Spanish from my parents the topic of gender was very apparent to me at a young age, due to the words el and la having direct meaning to what is considered masculine and feminine in the Spanish language. Therefore, I can see why it is very hard for transgender and queer individuals to feel constrained in their own community and not receiving the full acceptance from the Latin American community. However, Catalina M. De'oni in the same source presents another different view of the gender debate in the Spanish language. She states, for instance, a and o endings do not necessarily render a term as masculine or feminine. If anything, the argument can easily be made that Spanish is gender fluid, even when it comes to people, as biological sex does not necessarily need to correspond with gendered nouns or adjectives. So, although there are endings that render a term as masculine or feminine, there is a mutual understanding in the Latin American community that not all words have a direct translation to a female or male group. However, unfortunately, this is not understood between those who are not Latin Americans themselves because there are many mistranslations in the Spanish language, therefore meaning that words do not have direct translation or meaning from Spanish words to English words. The distinction between the terms Line X and Latina slash O is a small picture of how many Line X's feel towards their connection to the Latin American community. In the source by Battle, Juan and Robert P. Peterson called Conexión a la Comunidad Line X LGBT feelings of connectedness. They state, among Latinx groups, both gendered expectations and a strong value of religion, particularly Catholicism, present key reasons for feeling disconnected within the Latinx community and may also present challenges or opportunities for Latinx feelings of connectedness. It is very unfortunate how specific aspects of the Latino culture negatively impacts those who identify as non-binary. The idea of cultural tyranny is discussed in this quote regarding gendered expectations and strong values of Catholicism, both not respecting certain values of the LGBTQ community when it comes to non-binary and homosexual discussions. So for these reasons, there are feelings of disconnectedness within the X community. Another quote stated from this source states that, in short, belonging is as much about emotional connection as it is about feeling sad. And more specifically, how people who perceive these attachments are judged by the larger communities and within their own. The feeling of belonging is important to those who are part of a culture community because individuals who identify with a specific community do not want to feel as if they're on the outs by those in the same community. Latinxs can have these emotions come about when they're feeling judged by individuals in the Latin American community. Although the term Latinx is not used frequently by older Latinos, this does not mean that individuals cannot apply this term to individuals who feel vulnerable and hurt from the constructed gender-based term of Latina or Latino. In a source called Introduction by Morales Ed, he states that by titling this book Latinx, I'm attempting, like the mostly young folks that are embracing this label, to engage with several threads of thinking about identity and naming, recognizing and evaluating the potential of such a label's elasticity and ability to evade categorization. Ed Morales makes it clear that his decision in titling his book, Line X, comes from the attraction it gets from adolescents who are more informed about this term. Therefore, the label Line X, can be applied to those who are non binary adolescents who also identify themselves as Latin Americans. According to a source by Battle Juan and Robert B. Peterson called Conexion a la Comunidad, Latin X LGBT Feelings of Connectedness, they state that even if the stakes of gender language do not feel high to some of us, they do feel high to many vulnerable others. Although the gendered language of the Spanish language does not negatively impact all Latinos, that does not mean that we cannot ignore the fact that it does hurt non-binary Hispanics who feel vulnerable from the Spanish language. Instead of just deciding whether or not the term line X applies to all Latinos, it should be decided and enacted that the term line X applies to all non-binary individuals who who identify themselves as Latin Americans. However, according to a bilingual survey of the U.S. Hispanic adults conducted in December 2019 by Pew Research Center, most Latino adults have not heard of the term Line X, or few use it, resulting in a disconnection between Latin Americans and this term. So this demonstrates that there is a loss of Line X in majority Latino adults, either because of their older generation, old age, or because they're not informed by this new label Line X from their community overall. In a source called about one in four US Hispanics have heard of Line X, but just 3% use it. By No Bustamante Luis, he states that awareness of the term Line X does not necessarily translate into use. Across many demographic subgroups, the share of Hispanics who say they use Line X to describe their own identity is significantly lower than the share who say they have heard it. Use is among the highest for Hispanic women ages 18 to 29, which is 14%, say they use it, a considerably higher share than the 1% of Hispanic men in the same age group who say they just use it. Although the awareness of the term Latinx has increased due to the exposure of this term in the education system in the US and through social media platforms like Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter, this has not been reflected in the use of this term by Latin Americans, as shown from this data above. It is significant to note that there is a low number of Hispanics who say they use line X to describe their own identity. According to the same source, Noe Bustamante Luis also states that preference for line X as a pan-ethnic term is higher among those who are aware of it, 10% in this group say they prefer Latinx. Yet even among those who are aware of Latinx, the terms Hispanic 50% and Latino 31% of Latin Americans usage are preferred. Meaning that the term Hispanic and Latino are more commonly used in the Latin American community. It can be said that there is a low percentage of Hispanics who prefer to use the term Latinx because of how new this term still is to the Latin American community. The terms Hispanic and Latino are also greatly preferred over Line X because of Latinos from an older generation having an accustomed knowledge and use of the terms Hispanic and Latino. In conclusion, even though there are some Latin Americans who are knowledgeable of the label Line X, it does not disregard the other half of Latin Americans, mostly older Latin Americans, that cannot define this label mainly because they're from an older generation, which is why the term Latinx causes so much confusion in this community. Therefore, the term Latinx does not function as a label for the overall Latin American community because of the many Latin Americans that lack knowledge of this term Latinx.
0: (laughs)
2: Hi, and welcome to our podcast. I am Zatali. And I am Fariha. And today we will be talking about the Mexican education system. So to better understand
3: the issues, we have to understand how Mexico's education system is structured, similar to the U.S. Mexico has a large education system, yet in contrast to the U.S., there are many ongoing issues that are still affecting students throughout both nations.
2: Yes, so schools in Mexico should be able to provide educational resources for low-income students. Mexican students with lower economic backgrounds are more affected by Mexico's education inequity because of the lack of funding and support from the federal government. To help you get a better understanding, I found a
3: quote from the article called Implementing Education Policies strong foundations for quality and equity in Mexican schools, which states, and I quote, systems that caters to almost 26 million students in basic education. The system is characterized by complex governance arrangements and a large teaching workforce working across more than 225,000 schools. Um, This is from the Organization for economic cooperation and development. When comparing this to the U.S. education system, it's bigger. With bigger education systems, it's likely that more problems will be presented. Let's take a look at the U.S.'s education system. Although it's known to be the better education system, and I quote, the better (laughs) in the world, there are still many faults like in the mexican um, education system
2: one being lack of funding would you like yeah. to add more yes so with the problem of lack of funding like in the us we could tell that many schools being in more poorer areas have less resources for their students for example um the area where i live in is not necessarily the most wealthiest but we're still in that not um, lower income section where the schools and zone schools have less equal resources. For example, when I go to pick up my sister, the streets are dirty. The streets are covered in trash everywhere. And it's, it's hard to break away from that system because it's been so integrated into our lives and it's been so normalized that these public schools are meant to look like this. We're we're taught that like, oh, it's just how your school is, right? Mm -hmm. So because it's been there for such a long time, it's harder to change is what I'd like to say, right? Like take Mm -hmm. a look, for example, public schools, right? Although we as a city are very diverse, the public schools aren't. And because of this, it's just been integrated. It's it's been so normalized that we don't even try to like really make a change, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, for example, like I found this really interesting source where it talks about President Porfirio Diaz, who served Mexico for who was president of Mexico since 1884 to 1911, where he provided federal control of education in the federal district, but allowed for allowed various states to direct education in their own areas, giving them the opportunity to really choose what they want to teach their students and kind of like go their own separate way without establishing a proper education system. So it caused a major problem then and continues to be a major problem now since it was providing educational opportunities for other students well, they have like a certain education and the other students in like a rural area let's say don't have that equal opportunity since each state has their own process is what i like to say this was taken from erickson's foundations of mexico mexican federal education system yeah so like it connects to the idea of understanding that in an education system that was built for let's say a certain lifestyle, like our education here in the U.S. was usually built for, well, it was originally only meant for men who had money and had the education, had the resources to get that education, right? So when these schools integrated where they allowed students from different backgrounds and races come together, it kind of like, it left a huge gap there because it wasn't built for minorities, that's what I like to say, right? Oh, fun fact. Um, The church was also very connected to the whole school system in Mexico, which is something I found very interesting. So because, I feel like because the church was also very connected to the whole system, Mm -hmm. it caused for more division. I practice my Catholic religion, but I know that historically, Catholicism was very split divided because women were supposed to be acting one certain way while the men were this way, right? So I feel like that caused more of a unnecessary separation and division and inequity for all these students because one group was seen as less than as the other group, right?
3: Yeah, I'd like to add on to that. Um, So as you stated, the Catholic Church can or had caused like division within the community. Um, A lot of people, who I believe were missionaries would come in and build schools that were specifically for teaching religion, which caused a impact on education itself as most of the schools in the area were either teaching religion in order to make more missionaries or more, um, or to have more members in the church itself, which they didn't really focus on education, but more in teaching the religion itself
2: um i remember speaking about this with my niece where we were talking about how the aztec had their own education system where they were already teaching their 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 children how to properly live and like would teach them i believe literature but don't quote me on that and she would talk about like how before the spanish conquest we had all of this all of this education and we knew what to do we were we were very advanced is what we were talking about how the aztec were very advanced but before we knew it um the spanish took our land yet we had the bible in our hand and it's something that like blew my mind because it's like it connects to what you said how the church was like teaching only missionary stuff and to like show the word the gospel of God and stuff like that, right?
3: Yeah,
2: and it just caused a whole different separation. And like, again, inequity and unequal access of the same education.
3: Now we're going to be moving on to the next topic, which is a lack of proper resource. Lack of proper resource can affect a student in many ways. And it doesn't only affect the students, but it also affects the teachers in this quote that I have found by Erickson. He states that in the past, teachers in the upper secondary level were not required to have completed a teacher education program. So basically without proper rules and proper teachers having a degree in education, can we confidently conclude whether the person teaching in a classroom is giving the students the amount of attention and education they deserve For example, if the teacher can't or doesn't have a passion for teaching, that can affect the relationship, the relation the student has to school and can determine whether or not they continue with their education later in life. Let's say that the teacher doesn't have the proper means to teach a class. Will the students really be learning because how would they be able to learn if that teacher doesn't even know what they are teaching or doesn't have the right textbooks or technology in order to teach the class, it wouldn't make sense for them to be called a teacher.
2: And I agree with that. I feel like from my personal experience, I've had some fair share of teachers where they absolutely, like you could tell that they absolutely hated their jobs or Mm -hmm. they would just do it for a check, right? But in my senior year of high school, I met this teacher where he was very passionate about teaching. He was—he really wanted students to have that memory of school doesn't have to be boring because there will be teachers who are very passionate about teaching and they want to give you that experience that they once had. And I think it's very important because with teachers like that, you, ha- you start having this hope where it's like, maybe there are other teachers like this person and maybe I'll find them across the way while I continue my career in education, right? But if students like like these in Mexico aren't giving the proper teaching resources or teachers that know what they're doing or are passionate about this, they lose motivation easily. It's very difficult to want to learn if you are only presented with teachers who basically may not know what they're doing, right? Yeah, I'd like to add on, let's say, this teacher who doesn't have the right degree,
3: but also they don't know what to teach. They don't have a schedule or a syllabus. They don't know what they're gonna teach the classroom, the students, how they're gonna make this work. This won't make the classroom a fun place to be. It won't make it enjoyable as your teacher tried to make it for you. Instead, it'll be full of confusion and the students themselves won't be learning much at all. Instead, they'll be lost in confusion, wondering what they're gonna be learning next, whether it's something silly or something actually educational. They won't know that and neither will the teacher. To add on to what we're talking about, I have found another quote which states, insufficient academic equipment, mainly in laboratories, libraries, and informational media because of budgetary restrictions but also as a result of the unplanned development of the institutions, the HEIS often have buildings and equipment made for an earlier era when most academics and even students used to spend little time in the facility. So basically what it's saying is that the HEIS frequently experienced financial constraints, which ultimately limited their capacity to purchase essential educational supplies, whether it's books, laptops, um, pens, and stuff like that. The most important areas affected by the shortage are the laboratories, as it stated, the libraries, the contemporary information resources. The institutions are unable to update or purchase the newest books, technologies, or even supplies required for high quality instruction, um, teachings, and research because of their lack of financing. They're not able to give students their all. Because of the lack of updated books, they're learning things that are far too in the past that are not like meeting standards to be taught in a classroom, which is going to cause the teachers to have to find a way around it, to look for resources that are free. But in a textbook, it has everything that they would need for that lesson itself and future lessons, which they can't access because they don't have the funding in order to get these books and give it to the students, also have a copy for the teacher to, for example, let's say give homework on or give a lesson on. They just can't do that.
2: and it- kind of just also connects to everything going on in the U.S. too. For example, I know some places in New York City specifically, some schools just don't have the proper funding to get these students extra textbooks, right? I grew up sharing my textbooks to some other students and half of the textbooks were broken, falling apart, sticky, and all gooey for some reason, taped together. And it's like, can we really learn in these situations? Like, I don't remember what the lesson was about, but I do remember the feeling of that dirty, smelly old textbook. Right.
3: I would like to agree. Like sometimes I mean this was a while back, but still like it affected my learning. We were given a textbook and pages were ripped, missing. I understand that other students have used these prior, let's say students from two years ago have used these textbooks. We're recycling textbooks that previous students have used, which has Obviously, damaged the book. So when the quote-unquote newer students use it, it's just like getting a piece of paper that's shredded up. You have to put the pieces together together in order to understand what you're reading because there's pencil marks on it. It's ripped up. It's crunched up. It's just not ideal for students to use.
2: So how are things looking for them for Mexico now? Like how what is being done for these students, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Is one of the most important things right now. Um, well, like many issues in the world, change does not happen overnight, right? Mm-hmm. However, over the past year, Mexico has been making small yet steady changes to improve its education system for all students in their nation. They've implemented new laws other than outside programs that have been helping to get involved to make changes more steady and more possible, right? For instance, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Um, has stated in one of their recent researches, the country among those, so the country being Mexico, has improved the most between 2006 and 2015. Um Their figure on page 42, 2.2, displays a change in the impact of socioeconomic status on students' science performance in the P P-I-S-A, in which Mexico comes sixth among the countries where equity is improved. So I think that's very great, where where it shows like how these changes are being made. And because of it, some students are doing well at their science performance tests, giving them hope for a long career of education, right? So I think it's very great that these programs have been very involved in the situation.
3: I would like to agree with what you're saying because knowing that Mexico has come to sixth place among other countries, just being top 10 itself is a great accomplishment. Knowing that these students are learning where the changes are being implemented is just a great thing to know. And how the students are coming so far, they're actually learning, whether it's just in science or like other subjects itself, they're able to show the world Hey, look, I've made it onto the quote-unquote leaderboard where they're able to show that they are getting an education and things are changing. Just to recap, the poverty rates and school fundings, they determine how far a student can complete their education in Mexico. The families in poverty frequently find it difficult to give their kids the things they need such as school materials and an enjoyable environment for learning. Furthermore, in order to provide for their families, students may be forced to drop out of school due to financial difficulties. Undervalued teachers and outdated resources, such as textbooks and technology, might result from the lack of funding. Each of these elements may impede a student's ability to finish their studies and will result in a lesser quality of education
2: so i think most importantly like learning about the whole situation and how mexico was originally very unequal for all students right because considering Mm -hmm. such a large continent change isn't going to happen quickly like i mentioned it's important to understand how the system is has been approving and because of it, it has hopes for other students from the lower income background, which is why it's important to talk about the reasons why this is happening, right?
3: Yes, I would like to agree. It's important to know how the education system came to be, where it started from and where it's going now. We can see that in the past, It was very rocky. It wasn't something stable. It depended on income and what class you were on, for example, middle class or higher class. It just depended on that, on what level of education you were going to receive. But now we can see that things are changing. Students are hopefully getting the education that they're deserving and needing of from the government's um, assistance where the fundings are hopefully increasing for these students to continue on their education in the far future. Exactly. This is Fariha signing out. And this is Atali also signing
1: out.
0: (laughs) Bye! Thanks again to our students for being willing to share their work and contributing to this special episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Beginning the first week of February, Rojo and I will be back with fresh episodes. This season, our theme is Latinx Climate Activism and the Arts. In the meantime, let us know what you think. You can always reach out to us on social media or by email. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Latinx Visions. Or if you prefer, our email address is latinxvisions at gmail.com. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends and family. And if you have a moment, please consider leaving a five-star review. It really helps others find the podcast. Dale, until next time.